Today on the Evangelist Podcast, does Christianity really offer us freedom? The Evangelist's Podcast. Encouragement to speak life to a needy world. With Glenn Scrivener and Andy Brinkley. You're listening to the Evangelist Podcast. I'm Andy Brinkley and here's Glenn Scrivener. Hello everybody. Hope you're doing well. How have you been, Glenn? You've... uh... I've been away for a little bit, so yeah. I've been on a mission to uh, Moulton Parish Church, which mm. is just outside Northampton, and uh, yeah, a week of great events. Uh, I love this kind of mission. We sort of did uh, interviews with interesting people, mm. uh, and then off the back of a quite lengthy interview, 35, 45 minutes with them, then there's a little musical interlude, and then I get to preach the gospel off the back of it. Okay. So, yeah, it was good. That's... Um Similar to a Roger Carswell method. It is. It's the Roger Carswell <laughs> method. We We've... had Ro- Roger on before, and he, yeah. that's how he uh, yeah. tends to do it. He's been doing it for years, and um, and uh, obviously he hasn't always done missions this way, but mm. pretty much if you want Roger to come to your church and do it, uh, you know, to speak, he will always really want to speak to somebody about what faith means to them and then uh, preach off the back of it. And, you know, when somebody with decades and decades and decades of uh, evangelism under their belt says, this mm. is the thing. A good way, yeah. Um, then you sit up and listen. And actually, this church had Roger Carswell come to it a couple of years ago. Mm. So they were used to that. They liked that. Yeah. And so I was very happy to slot into that yeah. kind of method. And people are very interested in other people, you know, in their stories. And exactly. it's kind of, yeah. you draw people in immediately. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't have to be you know we got this famous MP or we got this incredible sports person or we got this millionaire Um, I mean the first person I interviewed was uh, a Yorkshire miner who was converted by picking up a bus ticket and uh, on the back of the bus ticket was half of John 3.16 (laughs) and he went home and he picked up a bible that he got given at the end of school uh, that he'd never read and he wanted to figure out where this bible verse was from and that sort of started a chain of events that led to his conversion but um, very um, uh, yeah, a, a very humble man who spent most of his working life, mm. you know, a mile down underground, and mm. and um, but yeah, his Christian faith just shone through, and and yeah, I got to preach on John three sixteen afterwards, mm. and and people were ready to hear that. Mm. So that's just a, a, a snapshot of so. You know, we had him on the Wednesday night. Thursday night, we had Joe Vitale from the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics, and she was the thinker. So uh, Jeff was the, uh, the the minor, was the unlikely convert, and then Joe Vitale was the thinker. And we uh, thought about her doing, you know, theology degrees and masters and PhDs, and and um, and does Christianity stack up intellectually? We thought about that on the Thursday. On the Friday, we had a magician. Um, so Todd Alexander was a uh, an illusionist. Um, and then I got to interview him about, you know, is, is Jesus just a trickster? Um, and what kind of tricks does he do? And then off the back of that, I got to preach about the water into wine. <laughs> and then on the f- on the Saturday night, I sp- spoke to Pete Spears, who's an archdeacon in Liverpool. He was born with the effects of thalidomide. And so, um, yeah, sort of profound disabilities that he's had to live with in life. But he shines with the joy of Christ mm. and and... You know, almost his story is, you know, better than anything I could say about suffering and what God does with suffering. And here's a lived example of it. So those stories really open people up um, mm. to then hear about the gospel. So I love doing mission that way. Yeah. Yeah. So that from there, you went to um, 
London Town. Yeah. yeah. E- the EMA. The EMA, Evangelical Ministry Assembly, which has been going for many decades. And, uh, yeah, a great sort of uh, meeting place for people who really believe in preaching. The Proclamation Trust puts it on, and, and their big strap line is when God's word is proclaimed, God's voice is heard. Mm. Uh, so people who really believe in opening up the scriptures and, and um, coming together. Um, yeah, heard some great uh, great talks, met up with some great people. And, um, and yeah. you, you were saying that people sort of came up to you and said that uh, they'd really you know they'd use three, two, one. The, yeah, the video to speak to people and that. Yeah, I mean, most people came up to me and said, "Scrivener, Scrivener, Scrivener." And, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there was a very, very um, apt example of this. I was with somebody else, and we were chatting away, and then somebody else came up and they they read my name tag and said, yeah. "Scrivener, Scrivener, Scrivener." Where have I heard that name before? And this friend who was with me was like saying, uh, "From his videos, from his books, <laughs> from his courses," and then and then. And this woman went, are you married to Emma Scrivener? I was like, yeah, that's right. She's like, I love her blog. And I was like, you know. <laughs> I too have a blog. But, um, Emma's husband. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, that's it. And that's, that's actually, that's universally that's how I'm known. <laughs> I'm, I'm known as Emma's husband, very happily so. Um, so that, that kind of keeps you humble. And the other thing that keeps you humble, humble when people say, oh, 3, 2, 1 really helped me, or uh, I've mm. seen people become Christians through reading the book or going on courses, is just when you think, you know, actually, 3, 2, 1 is just very um, basically Trinity, Adam and Christ, union with Christ. Mm. And uh, I can't really take responsibility for those doctrines. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you like that doctrine of the Trinity? Yeah, yeah, that was, that's mine. Yeah, I, I did that. <laughs> um, which, as I was reflecting, sort of coming away, like I, I did feel really encouraged by all these things and, and hopeful. Um, but, yeah, you, you don't really feel proud of something when, like, what it is is just yeah. so front and center well yeah. this is this is jesus doctrine of god and yes. jesus doctrine of the world and De- jesus doctrine of you yeah. um so it really sort of made it doubly my ambition to to kind of create gospel presentations and media and resources that put jesus so front and center mm. so that when people say i was so helped by x y and z mm. it is just so obvious that it's not me <laughs> yeah. it's just well that well jesus is quite attractive isn't he and let's yeah. talk about him so, but yeah, but lots of lots of people saying three, two, one had, um, uh, yeah, helped them, helped their church, and um, just in the last twenty four hours, have known of a couple of people who mm. um, seem to be trusting the Lord, and three, two, one has had a part to play in that. So, yeah. praise God. Yeah, good. Okay, well, uh, this week we're going to listen to one of your talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a bit uh, about where it came comes from. So, Durham, uh, Durham Intercollegiate Christian. Union, no, yeah, yeah, that's right. Durham Intercollegiate Christian Union is the Christian Union for uh, students at Durham University, and uh, I'm going to be going up there again at Christmas and again in February at Christmas to do a big carols thing, and then in February to do their big um, week long mission. Right. And so this was sort of getting to know them. Uh, a couple of Fridays ago, I went up and uh, I spoke during the lunchtime, um, and that's what we're going to hear. And then I spoke again at the evening to the to the CU itself. But at the lunchtime, uh, they invited in lots of non-Christians to come and hear about this this topic: um, Does Christianity make you free? Um, which obviously, you know, most non-Christians would think, don't be ridiculous. Freedom, Christianity, those, those two don't go together. You know, Christianity is for those people who don't mind the shackles of religion. <laughs> yeah. um, 
So it's an opportunity, really, to turn some of those misconceptions on their head and and uh, and say that, yeah, John chapter eight, you know, you will know the truth, and the yeah. truth will set you free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free, and all those all those things. So, um, so it was a, a case of speaking for about twenty minutes and then uh, fielding questions, which yeah, tended to be the sort of questions that you'd expect. Um, people would would would, would want to ask when the question of freedom comes up. So, yeah, yeah see Good. how I deal with them. Okay, let's take a listen. But Glenn, over to you. Over to me. Brilliant. I love you. You have the technology now to react to me in real time. Um, you can do that just visually, actually. Maybe not throw things. Um, so we're thinking about this topic, liberated. Does Christianity really offer me freedom? Uh, on the way here, I tripped over one of these. What does this represent to you? Anyone? What is this? The end of exams, right? Does this does this not represent the epitome of liberation and freedom to you? Is this not the very essence of? There's an event coming up. That's that's something about post post exam bliss. Is that what the next the next thing that the, that the Christian Union here is putting on is an event that will tell you all about post exam bliss? Doesn't that sound amazing? You're thinking about Nirvana. You're thinking about paradise. You're thinking about Valhalla. You're thinking about this. This absolute bliss that's going to come upon you when you transition out of revision mode and into post-exam bliss. Um, And that for me is really a a great illustration of what Christians mean by liberation, what Christians mean by freedom. Uh, Because I, I think a brilliant illustration of what Christianity really is, is it's the transition from living in revision mode to living in post-exam bliss, okay? I'll put it like this. Imagine there you are, you're sitting your exams, and, and of course the trouble with revision, isn't it, that you never know if you've done enough, do you? And, and you know, you, there might be like seven areas you're meant to be revising, but maybe you should have revised nine areas or 11 areas, and you, and you don't know whether that's enough, and maybe some of you are gambling and you're just revising four areas or five areas, and, and you never know, and no matter how much you do, you could always be doing more, couldn't you? And so often in life, it's a bit like that. It's not that we're always all going for grades in our lives, but we all want some kind of verdict on our lives, whether it's the verdict of, yes, you are very clever, or you are very beautiful, or you are very sporty, or you are very witty, or I don't know what it is. Maybe you're very knowledgeable, maybe you're just the cool kid. I don't know. I don't know what you're going for in life, but so much of life is lived in revision mode, isn't it? And you're never sure if you've done enough to get the verdict that you're looking for. So often when I enter into social situations, you're just meeting someone for the first time, and and, uh, you think of it a little bit like a a game of cards. You know, you're dealt a certain hand, and you're not sure what to play in this particular social situation. So maybe I'll play the knowledgeable card. And maybe I'll tell them something that they didn't know before. Or maybe I'll try and play the cool card and tell them that I just went and saw Radiohead at the Roundhouse. Or, or maybe, which I didn't, but I wish I could have dropped that in. But anyway, and we, we try to play these different cards, don't we, about being cool or clever or good-looking. And, and in a sense, we're kind of in revision mode, always trying to do more, always trying to get the grade, always trying to get the verdict. Christianity is about moving from revision mode into post-exam bliss. 
Imagine there you are in your exam and uh, you're not quite sure of the wording of question two and you stick a hand up and the invigilator comes to you and as it so happens, the invigilator happens to be the person who wrote the exam. And you say, I'm not quite sure about the wording of this and they actually whisper to you, just, just shove over. And they sit down next to you and with your name written on the top or your candidate number, they start answering every single question on the exam sheet perfectly in your name and on your behalf. And then they get up and, and, and they say to the rest of the exam hall those words that everybody is waiting for all summer, those words, pens down. Don't you love that phrase, pens down? And there you are and your hand is kind of like a claw, just, you know, you, you prize the pen away from the, and you put the pen down. The exam is over, the summer has begun. And if your examiner has sat the exam for you, the first is in the back. Wouldn't that be amazing to think you've transitioned out of revision mode, the exam is over, summer begins. It's post-exam bliss. This is what Christianity is all about, actually. The Christian message is that Jesus Christ has come into this world and he's lived the perfect life that you and I don't live. He's died the death that you and I deserve to die. And he's risen up again and he said to us, you know what, why, don't, why doesn't my life count for you? Why don't I give you the first? Why don't I give you the grade? And then you can move out of revision mode. You can move out of that mode of always trying to prove yourself, always trying to get the, the stripes, always trying to get the grade, always trying to get the, the badge, the label that says you're okay. Jesus says, ah, you've got it for free. For free, it's yours. Now you can just go and live. Now you can go and enjoy life. I was just speaking to somebody who's finished their exams. They said they bought a novel and they're going to read it this weekend. Amazing, amazing. How about reading for pleasure? Wouldn't that be amazing? To actually read for pleasure? Not because you're trying to pass an exam or get a grade, but you can just live. Well, Christianity says that somebody has come and given you the grade that you need so that you don't have to prove yourself anymore. You can just live. There was a great uh, diver, 10-meter uh, Olympic diver, uh, Greg Leganis. He's this American guy. He won every single medal going, got the world records. He was just the, the greatest in his field. And he was once asked, what's your secret? What do you do? He says, well, I, I just climb up to the 10-meter board, I stand there, I remind myself that my mother loves me, and I dive. And it's just this wonderfully liberating thing. You know what? If I just completely make a hash of this, and it's just this sort of Peter Kay-style, just dive bomb splashing, it doesn't matter. My mum loves me. That's okay. And it was actually this liberating thing that he knew the verdict that was on his life, and that enabled him to go and live. Well, my contention is that Christianity is the most liberated you could possibly be. You can live the most liberated life in the world because Jesus has come to live the perfect life, to die the death, and to rise up again and give you his perfect status so that you move from revision mode into post-exam bliss. Okay? Now, maybe that's not your impression of Christianity. Maybe, maybe if you're sitting here listening to me thinking... My impression of Christians is that they spend their time looking like they're sucking thistles and, and just, just kind of looking very sour and they're just prudes, aren't they? Christians, religious prudes, they've, they've taken this religious yoke onto their shoulders 
And maybe you're looking at Christian friends and you're thinking, my Christian friends don't seem very free. In fact, I think they've been enslaved by their religious affiliation. Maybe that's kind of what you, you think. Well, I guess we need to start defining what we mean by freedom, don't we? What do we mean by freedom? Uh, in the last sort of 300 years, uh, really since the Enlightenment, we've tended to define freedom as this kind of radical independence. That I am this sort of this sovereign sphere, and I've got my unalienable rights, and you can't come into this sphere and tell me what to do. Nobody can tell me what to do. I am an individual, and I will do whatever I please. And that, that tends to be our definition of freedom, actually, in the West these days. But I want to make to you the case that that's not a very helpful definition of freedom, and that it's actually not the most liberated definition of freedom that you could think of. I just think of my daughter, for instance. My daughter, last night, as I was putting her down to bed, I laid her in a cage. Okay, we don't call it a cage, we call it a cot. But what do you call this enclosure that she's not allowed out of for 12 hours during the day and, and well, during the night, right? We, we do let her, we're not monsters, right? Um, and there's a, there's a, I mean, we, we put toys in there and there's a mattress, but it is a cage. Do you know why it's a cage? Because if she was not enslaved in that particular pen, she would kill herself. My daughter makes a suicide bid on an hourly basis, okay? And if you've had any dealings with any children, you know the kids will kill themselves if you leave them to themselves. If you allow them to make their own free choices on an hourly basis, you know what? They will take that marble and they will swallow it. They will stick their finger into the electric socket. You know, they will dive headlong down the stairs and it will be their freely chosen decision to do so, right? Now... Is your child more free if they are allowed to do every single thing that comes into their pretty little heads? No, they are less free if you allow them to do that. So, so actually freedom, it can't simply be being allowed to do exactly what you want to do all the time. Perhaps if you're a psychologist, you know uh, certain ex uh, experiments that people have done. I, I love psychology experiments, don't you? That they, they tend to tell you a lot more about psychology students than they do about uh, people's psychology. Um, there's this one experiment where they, they get a rat, put electrodes in the brain of the rat. If the rat presses a button, cocaine instantly in the rat's brain. The most amazing high, right? That's at one end of the cage. At the other, other, at the other end of the cage, there is food and water. And you know what happens to the rat? He just goes bzz, 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 and starves to death, right? Um, and this is a very powerful illustration of addiction, actually. Um, addiction really is this thing that happens in humans, where we just we go for the thing that gives us the instant thrill, and we starve to death of our own free will, of our own volition we start to make these free choices that end up enslaving us. So actually simply allowing people to do exactly what they want whenever they want to do it, sometimes that doesn't lead to their liberation. Sometimes it actually enslaves them. And what I'd love you to do is, um, on your tables, there are these little booklets. Um, these are actually Gospels. Would you like to uh, pick one up? And I'd love to just draw your attention 
to some words that Jesus said. It's on page 50 of these. Um, this is John's Gospel, actually. It's uh, one of the four biographies of Jesus in the Bible. Perhaps you know in the Bible, uh, it's actually 66 different books, the Bible. It's kind of a library, really. And this is one of those books, one of the four biographies of Jesus. John, a good friend of Jesus, writes this eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And at the bottom of page 50, there are some very famous words that Jesus speaks about freedom. Perhaps you know these words. Um, So the last two sentences, there's that heading that says, Dispute over whose children Jesus' opponents are. And then it says, little number 31 refers to verse 31 of chapter 8. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you don't know the Bible, you probably know that phrase, though, don't you? You probably know that verse. The truth will set you free. And this tips us off about one aspect of freedom. Uh, Freedom is not automatic. We're not born into this world as these blank slates that if we are only allowed to be able to exercise our free will, then suddenly we'll become these liberated individuals. We need to know stuff. Um, Jesus speaks about his teaching. He speaks about his disciples. A disciple is just a learner. And he speaks of the truth. So there are things that we need to know in order to be set on our feet, to be mature enough to make our free decisions. Just like my daughter is not allowed out of the cage right now for her own good. When she learns, when she grows, when she matures, when she's discipled, when she knows more of the truth, then she will be more in a position to be a free, liberated, flourishing human being. So that's one thing to say about truth and to say about freedom, is that we're not automatically free. We need to know certain things in order to become free. Is it just a matter of the head? Is there just some information that we need to know and then we can become free? Well, no, actually, over the page, turn the page, and uh, you'll see that it's not just a matter of the head, it's also a matter of the heart. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That little number 34, verse 34, is very interesting. Whoever sins is a slave to sin. Now I don't know what your reaction is to the word sin. Usually when we hear the word sin, we think of uh, breaking a diet or something, or you know, some, some kind of naughty but nice transgression. <laughs> Um, just doing the bad stuff. Is that what Jesus means by sin? No. In the Bible, sin is much more a commitment to the heart, an attitude of the heart. It's very much this looking for love in all the wrong places type of thing that humanity is full of. We are always looking for love in all the wrong places. We are always a little bit like that rat that goes to that button to get our fix. And there's something in our lives that diminishes us and diminishes other people. And it doesn't honour God, it doesn't honour ourselves, it doesn't honour other human beings, it doesn't honour the world, and yet it gives us our fix, and we keep going back to it. 
And for you, it might be one thing. For the person sitting next to you, it'll be something completely different. For myself, it'll be something else. Really, it's this attitude of a heart where we throw ourselves at these passions, and then these passions end up enslaving us. And Jesus says, there are things in your life that are enslaving you. And if you simply want to just do whatever your own heart tells you to do, you might end up being like that rat in the cage. The rat freely goes back to the cocaine and freely enslaves itself. But Jesus seems to say that he has a place in the family for us. A place in the family in which we will be liberated, in which we will be at home. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Jesus is speaking here of his own family. I don't know uh, what your vision of God is, but if you pick up John's Gospel and read through it, I'd love you to do that and, and keep on reading about who this Jesus is. You will meet on the very first page that Jesus describes God as like a family. There is a father who has always loved his son, Jesus, in the joy of the Holy Spirit. There is this family of love that the world has come from. And according to the Bible, that place is home. And according to the Bible, if you want to be free, you need to find your home. That's, that's so true, isn't it? When you are at home, then you start to feel free, don't you? I was speaking to someone uh, just before this, uh, this event, and uh, they were talking about when they love to get home, what they love to do is they love to sit on the kitchen floor. That's the place where they feel at home and just play with the dog, or they sit on the kitchen floor and they have the deep and meaningfuls with their parents or their siblings. You sit on the kitchen floor and you feel like you can kick off your shoes and you're at home and you can just be yourself. Home is the place where you can be yourself. Home is the place where you are free. Now again, that's interesting, isn't it? If we think in Western categories about what freedom is, we think freedom is being radically independent from everything. And yet, if you're radically independent from your home, then you're not free. You're just lost. Have you ever contemplated how similar it is being free to being lost? I always get this in, in Freshers' Weeks. I'm often asked to come and speak in Freshers' Weeks, and it's a, it's a real reminder to me of how close it is being free to being lost. Because there you are in Freshers' Week, and you just, you just want to be free, don't you? You just want to go and do what you want to do. I remember when my, my mother was helping me unpack my uh, room at college, and uh, she was just about to take the last box of stuff home to the car, and I was just about to run off into Freshers' Week to be free. And uh, my mother turned to me with tears in her eyes. She said these words. So I, I think she's embarrassed by these words now. I'm, I'm mortified by them now. But she said to me with tears in her eyes, she said, Glenn, just fly, Glenn. Just, just fly. <laughs> and because sarcasm is my love language, I said, I will, mother, and you will be the wind beneath my wings. Um, which was a horrible thing to say. But, uh, but there is that sense, isn't there? And then you go off and you're going to fly out into the world. And then in Freshers Week, you've never met such lost people in your life, have you? Because, I mean, just physically, you don't know where anything is. And you're asking, where's the library and where are the lecture theatres? Some of you are in third year and you still don't know where the library and the lecture theatres are. I mean, that really is lost. But we spend our times trying to be free and feeling like we're lost. 
And the story of this book, the story of the Bible really is that there is a home that you belong to. And there is a son from that home, and he has come to find you and to bring you home. And when you're home, then you can just be yourself. Then you're liberated. Then you know who you are. Then you move from trying to prove yourself in the world and you're in, in revision mode the whole time. Jesus says that's, that's a slavery. If you're just trying to prove yourself, if you're, just trying to, if you're just trying to fly by yourself, it can be a slavery because how high is, how, is high enough? How high a grade is a high enough grade? How much of an approval from the world is enough? Jesus says that could be a slavery. He says, let me give to you, let me give to you the grade that you could never earn yourself. Let me give to you a verdict on your life that means you are liberated. You can reassure yourself of God's love and you can dive. You can reassure yourself of God's love and you can read that book. You can do that exam. You can just live because Jesus has set you free. That's the kind of liberation that Jesus wants to give to everyone in this room. And I'd really encourage you to pick up this book and keep on reading about this Jesus. And, and maybe you're not used to church things or Christian things. That's okay. You know, it's summer now. You can do this. You can pick up a book and you can read for pleasure. And I would just recommend, why don't you shoot up a prayer and say, God, liberate me. Show me who Jesus is and, and show me where my true home is. Because that's where you'll truly be free. I'm going to stop speaking now, and uh, why don't we, um, perhaps on your tables where you are, why don't you talk about the, the one big question that you would like to shoot at me, um, and maybe if, uh, if you don't have any questions, you could just talk about, what, what do you think freedom is? How would you define freedom? And uh, we'll just chat that through, the numbers on the screen for you to, to text in your questions, and in about five minutes, Angus is going to come up, and he's going to ask me your hardest questions. So let's do that. Thanks. Great. So, hope you enjoyed the little chat there. There's still a few sandwiches left at the back, and after the time of questions, we're going to be serving tea, coffee, and donuts. So do feel free to stick around. Um, let's let's start with some questions. Claire, can I invite you back up? So the first uh, question we've got, we've had a few, thanks for texting them in. Um, feel free to keep uh, texting in or uh, ask some from the floor. Maybe if, if uh, somebody wants to pluck up the courage and ask the big question that uh, you wanted to ask Glenn on your table, that would be great too. So the first one we had was, how can we be free if our future has already been decided? Okay, yeah, good question. So, uh, I mean, at that point, we're getting into issues of free will versus determinism, which is a philosophical area of, of, of study that's quite separate from whether you believe in God or not. So you could be uh, an atheist and you could very strongly uh, want to defend free will as a concept, or you could be an atheist and very strongly uh, defend determinism, uh, which tends to be where a lot of atheists these days are going, uh, that, that if biology reduces down to chemistry, chemistry bio reduces down into physics, um, then really our future is set in stone in, in quite a literal way, and so you could be uh, a determinist as, uh, as an atheist. Again, you come over into sort of Christian philosophy, 
and there are those who very much emphasize freedom, and there are those who very much emphasize God's sovereignty over every atom and act. Um, so I don't see this as a particularly um, Christian versus non-Christian issue, if the future is already known, are we free or not? But I would, I would start to ask whether the kind of God that Jesus is talking about gives you hope for there being some kind of freedom. Because I was, I was talking to you about, here is a God who is a family, a father loving his son in the joy of the Holy Spirit. You have this interplay, this back and forth, this give and take, this love relationship. So that the God that Christians are talking about is not just this abstract kind of determinism that presses down on history from on top, but that actually you've got this interplay in which the Son of God comes into history and carries on that interplay between humanity and God. And so actually within Christian theology, you've got a, a, a wonderful kind of tool for thinking about, yes, a God who knows the future, but a God who is uh, listen, who listens to prayer, a God who listens to the cries of his people because he's always listening to his son. And we are invited into that kind of interplay. And so this God, knowing the future, uh, is different, I think, from a, a simple um, single-powered God who just presses his own will down on creation. So I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of hope within Christian theology and a lot of tools that Christian theology has for thinking about freedom in the context of the God who knows the future. Because the, the Bible does say that God does know the future, and yet he's a God who responds to prayer. He's a God who responds to the give and take and the back and forth. So I, I just encourage you to, to press into who this God might be, uh, because on the other side, if, if there is no God, I do think that the arguments for determinism, in a, in a very um, naked kind of forceful way, uh, are pretty compelling, actually. To take God out of the equation, I think, I think you are set down the track of an impersonal determinism. Um, and I would just encourage you to perhaps look into the God of Jesus, because I think maybe there's more hope for the kind of freedom that we're all looking for in that vision of God. And you can come back to me on that. Cool. Does anyone want to kind of come back on that straight away now? Okay, I'll move to another question. Um, this one says, as far as I'm aware, Jesus did not denounce the human slavery occurring in the first century, and the God of the Old Testament actively encouraged it. How is that freedom? Yeah, great question. So the issue is slavery. Um, and it's not just a question for the past, is it? Um, a report came out just this week saying there were 46 million slaves in the world and a couple of million in, in Europe. So slavery is not just uh, an issue for the past and we're now done with it. Uh, even in the West, there's all sorts of issues about slavery that we still need to keep on fighting. And, and Christians uh, are very much strong voices in that fight for freedom. Uh, Jesus, you're right, uh, doesn't say anything about slavery apart from what we just read. Uh, in the New Testament. What, what we just read uh, are Jesus', uh, Jesus words talking about our slavery to sin. So speaking about far more a spiritual slavery. But what I think you see with Jesus and the New Testament is really the, the complete undermining of any institution of slavery. 
what you've got to do is distinguish between uh, slavery in the Old Testament, so in, uh, if you're a Hebrew, if you're an Israelite, and you got into debt, rather than going to debt as prison, you could become a slave. But it was, it was only for a set period of time, only for seven years, and, and then you're an, in, an indentured slave, and then you could get your freedom. And, and so there's a very different kind of slavery there to the slavery of the Greco-Roman world, um, which, again, is very different to what we think of when we think of slavery. When we think of slavery, we think of the transatlantic slave trade, don't we? Um, which was absolutely barbarous and, uh, and overturned by a lot of Christians getting back to their Bibles. And you might say, well, there were some Christians who were opening their Bibles and supporting the slave trade from that. And at that stage, I think the Christians who were opposing it had better arguments. Here's the arguments that they used. They said that the Lord of all, Jesus Christ, became a slave. He absolutely tipped on its head this kind of social pyramid in which you had sort of the emperor and the gods up here, and then you had the, the, the slaves down here. And what you have with Jesus Christ is the God of heaven becoming a slave, becoming even a human sacrifice on the cross, and humanizing people uh, to such an incredible degree. While Jesus never spoke on the, the particular issue of slavery, the people who he humanized were absolutely at the bottom of the, the, the ladder. He humanized the, 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 the lepers of his day. He humanized the people of the nations that others just thought of as dogs. Here is Jesus who is absolutely, absolutely upending that. And then what you see in the New Testament is... Um, the New Testament authors completely outlawing anything to do with uh, slave trading or kidnapping people, which absolutely cuts the, 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 the lifeblood from slavery. And what you see them doing is, again, saying, look, slaves and slave masters exist on an absolute equal footing inside the church. And with that kind of uh, theology going on, what you get are the seeds of abolitionism. What you get are the seeds of no one is able to look at anyone else and say that they are a lesser human being or a greater human being because the Lord of all has become one of us and stooped down to this level. So we just can't play these hierarchical games anymore. So I think within the New Testament, um, you've got a theology that is, that is able to overturn the kinds of slaves' trades that we, that we see and that we saw happen in the 17th, 18th century. Um, Big, big subject, but perhaps we can talk about it at a, yeah, afterwards. Yeah, it's worth saying also that at the end, Glenn is going to be around, uh, even for the whole afternoon. So if you did want to come and chat with him one-on-one -on -one at the end, um, he's, he's around and, and you're very much free to do that. Um, does anyone have any questions from any of their tables? It'd be interesting to, what you got, to see what you guys are thinking uh, during that little break. Does anyone want to stick a hand up and ask a, a vocal question? In real time. Real time's reaction, real time. Yeah. No? Alright. There's plenty more in the text, so we're going to keep playing through this, if that's okay, Glenn. Okay. Yeah. Um, this one says, okay, so if it's in God's nature to be benevolent and good, then is God enslaved by his own nature? Mm -hmm. Is God free to make the decision not to be good? Mm. Brilliant! Brilliant question. So this is perhaps the oldest question in philosophy. Well done, whoever's asked that. Um, so... Is something good because the gods command it? Or do the gods command it and thereby... It, 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 yeah, so is something good because the gods command it? Or is it good and therefore the gods command it to be good? Does that make sense? Um, and and if, that's, if that's the case, then is God enslaved by his own nature of goodness? 
Um, and again, I think sometimes we can come at this, this idea of freedom or slavery in an unhelpful way. We can assume that freedom or slavery is defined by, um, do I have a maximal range of options in front of me? And if I do have a maximal range of options in front of me, then I'm very free. And if I've only got one option in front of me, then I'm unfree and I'm enslaved. Um, but I would just encourage us to think, is that the best definition of freedom? Because there are certain choices that you can make that will enslave you. The rat that keeps on pressing the button is free to make that decision, right? But is it an expression of its freedom to keep pressing that button? And perhaps most of us in this room would say, actually, that's not an expression of the rat's freedom to keep hitting the coke button, okay? That's not an expression of its freedom. That actually, that's an expression of its slavery. And that therefore, exercising your will in order to do the good thing, the liberating thing, the free thing, the flourishing thing, the exercising your will in that direction is the true expression of freedom. And that exercising your will in the bad direction is actually an expression of slavery. So, the Bible says things like, God cannot lie. God cannot lie. And maybe we think, oh, that's dreadful. God is constrained in his choices. But maybe we should start thinking, ah, how liberated that God never enslaves himself to the lie that just keeps on making him lie more. And, you know, the, the way that lies enslave us. We feel very free because we could tell the truth or we could tell a lie. And maybe God would say, ah, but if you choose the lie, you are choosing slavery. You're not expressing your freedom in that case. You're actually expressing your slavery. So, um, yeah, the Bible says God cannot lie. He cannot deny himself. There are, there are things that the Bible says God cannot do because of his goodness. But I don't think that's an expression of his slavery. Rather, that is an expression of his freedom to be flourishing. We can talk about it later. Again, does anyone want to come back on that? Okay. We've had, so there's a couple here um, from the same. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to separate them out because they're reasonably different. So this one says, how can one be free when the Bible imposes on us arbitrary and outdated rules which have no purpose because what they prohibit is not by any means a source of enslavement, e.g. the entire book of Leviticus. Right. Here. So, 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 so that was quite long. So how can, how can one be free when the Bible imposes arbitrary and outdated rules on us? Brilliant. And very interesting that you, you choose Leviticus because within the New Testament, the New Testament also says that that Old Testament administration of laws was a kind of slavery. So even within the New Testament, you know, the Apostle Paul is looking back at the book of Leviticus and saying, you know what, that was a kind of slavery. There were a whole bunch of you know, laws and commandments that he says in the New Testament we are not under anymore. And we have come of age, and now instead of being slaves, we are now children, and we are set on our feet, and off we go. So even within the New Testament, the New Testament looks back at the, of, uh, at the book of Leviticus and says, look, there's a, a lot of commandments um, that, as a New Testament believer, I'm not under anymore. And in fact, the New Testament even talks about being under law um, as a description of what being in the Old Covenant under Old Testament laws was like. It was like being under law. So, 
Yeah, so we don't, a Christian doesn't just pick up Leviticus and go, fantastic, no more shellfish, and off we go, and oh, look, there's 613 more rules that I need to obey. Wow, how liberated. We don't, we don't do that. Um, we read our Bibles the way that the Bible tells us to read our Bibles, in which the Old Testament is fulfilled by the New Testament. Now, that doesn't mean that the New Testament doesn't give us things to do. It does, but it's, it's not interested in whether I eat shellfish or not, Okay. But the, but the New Testament does tell me about things to do. It, it does tell me that uh, to be generous, it does, it does tell me, you know, Jesus even says, if anyone asks you for money, you should give it to them. Isn't that nuts? But he says it. And you're like, wow, okay. And, and, but the way he presents it is, this is the way of liberation. He says, if, if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, you should offer him the other cheek, turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. If someone sues you for the shirt on your back, you should just give them the shirt on your back, give them your jumper as well. Um, And we think, oh, is that just him imposing on us, enslaving us? And Jesus comes back and says, no, no, this is the way to be free. You want to be free of greed? Give. Yeah. You want to be free of bitterness? Forgive. And actually, all the ways that the New Testament speaks of the, the new way to live... It's not in terms of, you're sort of free, but you've also got to do these things. The way the New Testament presents it is, you are so absolutely liberated. Why would you lie? You are so absolutely liberated. Why would you be bitter? You are so absolutely liberated. You know, why would you be greedy? It's that kind of thing. Cool. And the the second one um, from that question is, let me just find it. Sorry about this. I seem to have lost it. Oh, no, here it is. Um, It says, you said Jesus died the death we deserve. Why do I deserve to be crucified? I've never killed anyone or cheated on anyone. And I consider myself a loving and compassionate person. Why do I deserve that? Mm -hmm. I think, so start with the God that I'm describing. Here is a family of life and light and love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all of us, all of us, don't like growing up in that home. All of us want to run away from home. We all do. At, uh, on some level, we all want to, you know, run away from home and say no thanks to this God. And we've all done it in different ways. Some of us have done it in very, very religious ways, and some of us have done it in very irreligious ways, but all of us want to run away from home. But when you run away from home, if you've run away from the God of love, then you kind of turn into disconnection. Life doesn't work as well. If you run away from the God of light, where else do you turn but into darkness? If you run away from the God who is the life source of the cosmos, where else do you run except into death? And so the Bible just says, look, we're we're just born into this state. We've run away from home and we're perishing apart from this life source. And that's what Jesus is doing on the cross. The Bible talks about him perishing there in the darkness, you know, shut out of the family home, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's, he's kind of taken on the position of the runaway. We are this runaway who says, I don't want you anymore, God. Uh, you know, like, like the teenager running away from home. And we starve and we perish and we are away from the, we are away from the light. And Jesus comes into that. That's what he's doing on the cross. Taking onto himself that condition that you and I share. So that he rises up again and he says, I've taken your darkness. Do you want my light? I've taken your disconnection from God. Do you want my connection? And anyone who says yes, you come home. 
You come home into that family and, that, and that's where you're fully free. Great. I'm just going to have uh, just one more and we don't want to uh, keep everyone, everyone here too long and we have lots of tea and coffee and donuts to give out. Um, so this, this last one says, how can someone be free with Jesus as Lord? Uh, yeah, and especially that word Lord, right? It's, it's the, key, the key claim of the Bible, the key label that a Christian sort of has over their lives is Jesus is Lord. Um, doesn't that mean that we're not free because we've got a Lord? And I guess the Bible just says everybody's got a Lord. Pick your Lord, okay? Um, if you live for the approval of others, the approval of others will be your Lord. And when they do not approve of you, it will be hell. If you live for career success, career success will be Lord. And you will work harder and harder to climb the greasy pole. And when you get made redundant, it will be hell. Jesus is the kind of Lord who we fail him all the time. And yet he forgives us. And yet when we have him, he truly satisfies I guess a Christian is just someone who recognizes, you know what, everybody lives for something. Think about your daydreams. What do you daydream about? You're thinking about some kind of area of success. That thing is your Lord. That thing is running your life. Think about your nightmare scenarios. What would be the worst thing that could possibly happen? That's diagnosing what it is that's most important in your life, what it is that you're living for. That thing is Lord. And the Bible is just saying, you know what, you won't find a better Lord than this. Because here is a Lord who made himself a slave for you. Here is a Lord who would die for you. Here is a Lord who forgives you when you fail him. And when you get him, he absolutely satisfies. So again, it's this idea of true freedom is found when you come home. And I'd just love you to keep on reading these John's Gospels and just ask yourself, does Jesus look like home? Does he look like the one I remember reading through was Luke's gospel, the biography just before John. And halfway through, I just, I just started thinking to myself, you know, this guy is tops. He's, he's incredible. He's number one. He's, he's Lord. He's Lord. And at that stage, it's like bad luck you're a Christian. You know? like, it just sort of happens. When your eyes are open and you see, oh, he is better than anything else that the world offers. And actually to call him Lord, that's not slavery. That is your true freedom. That was you, Glenn, talking um, a few weeks ago now. Mm -hmm. And uh, how do you find that people sort of respond to you uh, to, a, to a talk like that? Are they interested in then come along in the evening? Or? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we had quite a few people um, who were interested. I mean, one question that didn't come up in the Q&A that often does is um, the hot topic issue of what about sex? Because mm. Christians seem to have a very unliberated view of sex. Um, there are rules regarding sex and Christians, um, and, and yet that didn't so much come up in the in the Q and A time, but it did it did come up in personal conversations. So lots of people um, talking about that, and I had some great conversations after this talk about that and and about saying um, actually Jesus is for sexual liberation. Here is here is the most liberated view of sex. Um, it belongs in the context of 
someone who will love you forever mm. and never let you go and not trash you and not walk away from you. And here is a context in which you can be truly sexually liberated and here is a context in which you can flourish and thrive and, and, and use sex for how it's intended because we all know that there are contexts in which when you rip sex out of that context, it leads to not liberation at all, but leads to um, people being very damaged and hurt. And so, um, so actually trying to get back in all things to say it is for freedom that Jesus has set you free um, really helped people um, and and I refuse to answer any question by saying oh yeah Jesus make you free it makes you free but not that free uh, let me just rein that back in that even when Jesus says no in places to things it is ultimately for our liberation mm. and let's explore the ways that that's true so I had um, had some good conversations in that area and I just had one girl who came up afterwards and said um, I want to be a Christian I've been thinking about it for a while and it was was nothing to do with the talk I mean she'd just been on this journey the whole time and <laughs> the fish just jumped into the boat <laughs> um, and and we prayed together and um, yeah and she had come along with some Christian friends and so I was like well why don't you go to church with these guys and yeah. she said well that's an idea and I said yeah brilliant isn't it go yeah. to church and keep going with the Lord and so so that was that was wonderful um, and then yet another reminder that you don't have to be particularly clever in evangelism and you know because this had nothing to do with the talk and the fact that she was in the room had nothing to do with what a brilliant title and what wonderful publicity nothing to do with that yeah. it's just the lord had her number and he was in her tractor beam and and in she came so just a reminder that the lord is the great evangelist which i think is very liberating for evangelists to always we need to always remind ourselves it's the it's the lord who's who's drawing people to himself yeah yeah praise the lord so what's what's we've what have we got coming up then? Cool. then? One thing coming up here in Eastbourne is this Sunday we've got uh, an Australian evangelist called Jeffrey Hilda who just specialises in starting conversations with people in mm. public just on the streets at the seafront where, where we are in Eastbourne or wherever he is. Um, his training consists of saying, just build rapport with somebody talk about Jesus and leave them with some gospel literature. You know, it's 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 literally that um that basic. <laughs> In fact, it was so basic that last year when he came to Eastbourne, he 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 basically said that and said, "Right, let's pair up and let's go out and hit the hit the seafront." <laughs> there was one one guy next to me who uh, leaned across and he said, "We are not ready. Glenn, that is not the real training. Can you come to our church and give the true training next week?" <laughs> and I just said, uh, why don't I pair you up with Jeffrey? And so this this guy who was quite nervous that we hadn't had enough training, mm. he went out with Jeffrey, and they just basically did what Jeffrey said, which is yeah. try and build rapport, get into a conversation about Jesus. And they had four incredible conversations. Two of them led to praying with people on the streets. Oh. Um, and so this guy who originally was very nervous about it just mm. came back rejoicing. And we all came back rejoicing. We had We had 32 people, 16 different pairs who went out, and all of us got into some kind of gospel conversation. And so we're, we're praying for uh, a similar result on Sunday and that it just means that people will catch the bug and, and want to keep on doing it. Mm. Um, because, you know, just on on the mission that I was just on in um, Northamptonshire, I mean, we we had a spare hour uh, one afternoon and we just went door knocking around the place mm. and... Origin, you know, to, for the first thirty minutes, really, there was a lot of closeness. But then, got into three great gospel conversations, giving away gospels, and mm. um, 
one person came along to the evening event you know off the back of it and then a whole bunch of teenagers that we saw at the end and got into this very um engaged and 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 healthy conversation about jesus it was just brilliant and and that's kind of the case whenever i've wanted to go out and have some kind of gospel conversation you end up having something you know you get a lot of doors shut in your face but you also get a lot of open doors and a lot of open opportunities so i'm a big believer in it and i hope that it uh, attracts a lot of people and gives them a real vision for it yeah okay well uh, we'll we'll perhaps hear about that next time yeah yeah okay well we're we're coming to the end there um if you'd like to get more of the evangelist podcast then uh, do subscribe on your iPhone or whatever device you have. Uh, to find the links to subscribe, you just go to speaklife.org.uk slash TEP, and uh, you can also leave a review there if you wish. Uh, also, don't forget Reading Between the Lines, which is uh, Glenn's daily video on going through the Bible a phrase at a time. And you can get subscribe. that both video and audio. Video and audio on yep. uh, as a podcast, or you can get it uh, through YouTube. Yep. And if you choose audio, I won't be too offended. That's fine. <laughs> Sometimes it's, it's yeah. easier. I'm, I'm sure it's just about, you know, memory issues and space issues. The, the audio yes. is, is a smaller file. I'm That's sure it's right, just yeah. that. It's yeah. just that. It's, it's nothing to do with It's not that Glenn should be yeah, heard and not seen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's it for now. See you next time. See ya. See ya.